Think about all the spam, the pop-ups, the unwanted ads that you and I are forced to watch and listen to every day. Being force-fed stuff you don't want is enough to make you want to gag. Now think about this. Listening to a podcast you love with just one sponsor that the host of said podcast loves and actually uses. And he can tell you firsthand why the product is awesome. Well, that's this. That's me, Ron Scalzo for Bloom Farms CBD. I ain't no professional pitch man. This podcast ain't no race car with 40 logos on it. And hey, I know CBD is this mystery to a lot of people. It was to me until Bloom Farms and I found each other. So I'm happy to fill you in on what the folks at Bloom Farms CBD have to offer you. 20% off your order right now at bloomfarmscbd.com. And at 20% off, you get to pull back the curtain and see if Bloom Farms CBD is right for you without breaking the bank. And you might find yourself pleasantly surprised, whether it's with their organic tinctures or their new mini CBD vape pens. And here's the thing. Results vary. Whether you're a CBD newbie or a CBD freak, we all have our standards for how relaxed we want to feel, how long that feeling should last, and how much we can handle. And you won't know what works best for you unless you try it. BloomFarmsCBD.com Enter the promo code BALDFREAK at checkout, get 20% off your order, and discover for yourself what the fuss is all about. Check the site for availability in your part of the world, bloomfarmscbd.com, promo code BALDFREAK. Do it for Ronnie, man. Do it for Ronnie. Do it for Johnny. Do it for Johnny. Don't call Torch a heavy metal band. They don't like that. I know it's not easy. Trust me, I know, because they fit the mold to a T. Seeing them live for the first time at the Black Cat in downtown DC, it's hard not to define them as such. Four headbanging dudes sweating through a wall of sound, sporting black clothing, beards, tattoos. Lead singer Steve Brooks doesn't look the part necessarily, but his moves on stage recall the golden years of hair metal, preening, wanking, and tongue wagging his way through Torch's intense set inside the small club. It's possible Steve was the lead singer of Danger Danger or Faster Pussycat in a previous life. Either way, Steve's got me laughing out loud at his antics as he makes sweet love to his guitar in between verses. I just met Steve about two hours earlier when Torch guitarist and production mastermind John Nunez wakes him up backstage to take the picture of us that will accompany the audio for this podcast. Steve may be Torch's heart, but John is the band's brains. And it's clear early on during our long conversation that I'm about to receive a master class in producer passion. Sometimes you have to pry some answers out of your subjects. Such is not the case with John Nunez. Sitting in an alleyway a few yards from the Torch van, he is an unstoppable force of information. And I love that. I was lucky enough to discover Torch years ago, thanks to one of my former Bald Freak music employees. Back when Bald Freak was a real record label, before the floods in the future changed everything. Word of mouth is still a driving force for bands like Torch. A band that tours their balls off, a band whose music can't be easily defined, but whose spirit is infectious. Torch isn't just a band for fans of heavy music, it's a band for other folks who make heavy music. And I'm one of those folks. So as the sun sets on a hot summer night outside the Black Cat, meow. it's a thrill and a joy to talk with another kindred spirit. The mosquitoes feast on our flesh, a rat scurries out of a nearby dumpster, and once again, I feel like I'm home. Not because I'm a homeless person, but because for the next magical few hours, I'm immersed in the indie music scene. I'm among my people, 
If this podcast is my platform to get to know John Nunez, to enjoy the funky moves of one Steve Brooks up close, and to have an excuse to dig deeper into the awesome music of Torch, then the podcast has done its work. Good podcast. Good boy. You want a cookie? John and I talk about moving air, making his own amps, chasing a feeling, and the strum that ruined his life. Kicking things off with Admission, the title track from Torch's new studio album on Relapse Records, then my conversation with John Nunez of Torch, right here on Independent Minded. It's Ron Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ron Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do.
I'm in an alleyway with John Nunez hey. from Torch. Yep. I noticed that you are, in addition to being the bass player, now guitar player, you are the producer of the Torch albums. Have you been always producing the Torch albums, or this is this kind of a new thing for you? I recorded pretty much all of the records, except for the first one and um, Neanderthal. And the ones that I didn't record, I've always been like heavily involved in you know, yeah. what gets tracked and reaching certain thresholds, if you will, you know, like doesn't feel right yet or whatever. And luckily the two times we've worked with two other engineers, they like didn't strangle me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you got some hands-on training during those first two albums, right? Yeah. I mean, I did the second one and the first one. It's just like, I feel like at the point that we started, which was 2004, um, we started working pretty quickly. But uh, at that point it was like observing how other people worked. And like one of the things I learned immediately was like, holy shit, people are compressing and EQing on the way in to get the sound like right at the source and I'm basically that's like my final sound you know so I'm picking up things like that which now I'm like holy shit I should have known that but um <laughs> I mean it, it works for certain things and maybe other people don't want to approach you know getting sounds that way don't be so hard on yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah no but it's it, it's cool you know to be around and meet people and I mean shit, in the time that the band's been around I've met a lot of really cool engineers and you know you kind of just pick stuff up off each other you know exactly you're in the system so why not cull some wisdom from everyone yeah. you, you encounter across the way when I sent you a text to tell you that I was here, I'm like, I'm, I'm outside, look for the bald guy with the shirt. Mm. And um, I feel like I should be an honorary member of Torch. Yeah, you fit right in. Right, pretty much everybody in the band is either bald or balding. <laughs> and everybody except for you has facial hair, although you got yeah. a little five o'clock shadow yeah, going on. Yeah, I got on. A, little, a little texture. You Have you ever done the full beard? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. They, the people say that I used to look older when I was younger than now. <laughs> because of the beard? Beard and like maybe additional certain amount of mass and certain things. Are you dressing. slimmed down over the years? Yeah, you know, get a little healthy. You're all stylish now in your I, old I, age? Look at me. What the, I don't know about stylish. I mean. He's wearing cut-off black black shorts and a black T-shirt. My booty shorts. Well, and, you're wearing the uniform, right? Yeah, it's summertime touring, man. I ain't trying to be glamorous. Is this what you're going to wear on stage? Mm, probably not, although I did in Vermont because it was, I mean, weather outside the venue was gorgeous. And then inside I was like, holy shit, they have a heater on? So I... You rock the booty shorts with the boots, which is, I don't know, some like grunge shit or something. It's all about comfort. Yeah, imagine. yeah. At that point, it was like an off day, small, cozy show. I'm like, I ain't changing. So does Torch need a keyboard player? Because if that's the case, man, I got, I got the look, I got the hair, right. or lack thereof, I got the beard. Yeah, any record before this one, we would have hired you, man. But this is the first record we didn't use synths. We actually, really? People think there's synths on it, but those are just guitars. Guitar tones, with, yeah, yeah. You know, well, that's pedals. interesting because the new album is called Admission. It's your fifth studio album. Album. What I'm reading online and what I'm hearing in my ears is more of a, a, a sound that's kind of getting away. Not, it's not navigating itself away from the harder stuff mm -hmm. that still exists, but definitely more tones that are indicative of shoegaze and and even more of a poppy sound. I would say. Yeah, I mean that's definitely stuff that I've always snuck in or like nudged guitar players in the past. Like, hey, you know, let's try this or look at this pedal. Isn't that cool? Let's you know get these sounds and. I've also played guitar on all the records, like, you know, whether it's like texture, some noise stuff or like the shoegazy stuff, whether it's in the background or kind of up front. So I've always played guitar, but I feel like a lot of that dreamier and like maybe, I don't know, people say ethereal, people say shoegaze. That is definitely stuff that I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> and luckily the guys like it. it's stuff that I've always we were all fans of it. Yeah. But I feel like, I mean, these certain songs to me called for it and it felt right. I ran my own record label out of my basement on Staten Island, New York. That's where it wound up when it started to kind of make some headway. 
And um, it got to a point in the history of the label where I actually had to hire people to come to my house and work for me. And I hired a bunch of like bearded, (laughs) bearded metalhead, like kids. And one of the two kids, uh, his name is John Bryan. Shout out to John Bryan, who's in a band called Dead Empires, which is heavily influenced by Torch. He turned me on to Torch, Meanderthal was the first time I heard you guys, and I've been a fan ever since, so it's been a while. Awesome. And um, I've noticed that over the years, even though your sound has kind of evolved, you hate being called a metal band, you don't like being classified. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, hate is a strong word, and maybe there was a point in time. Now we just find it, like, we kind of dismiss it. Our sound spreads across maybe like an array of genres or whatever, where other people are like, can easily be written off as like oh they're just this or just that and i feel with every record i feel we, we we still retain that sonic identity but we push it we do new things we mix it up and uh i feel like there's progression from record to record um i don't know if people would agree i'd say that's fair as, as, as a longtime fan i do like that i feel like throughout the discography it gets harder for people to have us like as a certain type of band or pigeonhole us under a certain type of category it's entertaining in the sense that like it immediately reveals that person's frame of reference and their musical knowledge or the catalog of music that they are familiar with, you know? When people ask me, oh, well, what sums up your band sound or what do you guys sound like? I just say, like, loud rock and roll. Whether it's the dreamy stuff, the heavy stuff, the upbeat stuff, the angrier stuff or whatever, the experimental or the noisy stuff, it's all a part of it. It's all inside that realm. Now, if he, then from there... People are like, oh, well, tell me more. Okay, well, look, there's some stuff that's maybe shoegazy. There's some stuff that's kind of like maybe like doomish. There's some like pop stuff, power pop. You know, then you it just, how much do you want to break it down? But in a nutshell, it's loud rock and roll. All, it, it includes all things rock and roll, I feel. I want to quote you from your website. In a world of Sabbaths, we get to be Van Halen. Now, that's a... Uh as a fan of both bands, mm-hmm. that's a very loaded statement. Can, yeah. you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, once that got out, I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, I wonder how people are going to take this. Because I just feel that with a lot of bands we played with and a lot of bands we get lumped in with, it's easier to maybe sum up what they're going after, which is fine. It's awesome. It's not like I'm not talking bad about anything. And I mean, even Sabbath had a lot of different you know, sounds and songs throughout their you know, career or whatever you want to call it. But... I feel that a lot of people maybe in bands of a certain genre that we get stuck in or lumped into are really just going after like maybe like two or three records and like that's it. That's a blueprint. That's the outline where we're just showing up to practice or rehearsal or whatever and we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to walk away with at the end of that day. So I feel like we can be upbeat, we can be heavy, we can be you know, sometimes like humorous, you know, there's no like, oh, it has to be this, you know, it has to be like this, like gallopy thing. And, you know, we just got to follow the blueprint, man. Here's a checklist. It's never been that. It's always like, let's see what happens today. You know? Yeah. Well, that's refreshing. Let's talk about the John Nunez origin story. (laughs) You started as, as the bass player of this band. And then recently, because of lineup changes and probably a need for it, you became the guitarist. Mm-hmm. Were you pooping your pants the first time you were on stage as the guitarist? It had to be a different experience, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, my thing was I wanted to make sure that the two guitars were tight, you know, like in like just the right. whole stereo imaging, you know. I had nine days to get my, my gear together and all that stuff. It was after a month-long European tour. It was a 12-day window. We went over everything, and it was cool. And my, my whole thing was... 
staying true to the songs, but kind of adding my own something, you know, that I was sneaking out to the records all these years, which now is a kind of a big part of admission. So there's a couple things like finding the right instrument to be comfortable with. It led to me and my uh, partner back in South Florida creating like custom amplifiers, cabinets, speaker cabinets, oh, and pedals. It's nice. like a lot <laughs> happened. Well, as a gearhead, I'm sure you appreciated it on some level. Right? Yeah, I was just like going from bass. I had a sound for over a decade, and I went to a guitar. I'm like, man, I'm not happy with any of this. Like, I need a sound that moves air, that's harmonically rich, and you know, it was just like, oh, shit, this is a this is a bigger challenge than actually playing the freaking guitar. Like, I feel like I wasn't freaked out. But it hit me um, when we played a sold-out show at Slim's in San Francisco. That was the first show of that U.S. tour. And I was so like, all right, oh, I can't forget anything. I'm going to play leads, like solos and stuff that I really don't, you know, I haven't had to do or never really tried. But uh, on stage, I guess I was just so, I don't know, like concentrated and like stressed that I actually the second we hit the last note and we walked off stage, I just had a migraine. Because, like, yeah. I was just, like, trying to focus and, like, oh. And you only get one shot on stage, right? Yeah. And then after that, I'm like, all right, whatever. You so, know? So now, how long has it been? Two, like, at least two years. Do Maybe you, going on three. I don't know. Do you miss the bass? No, because now I have, like, the right sound. Okay. Like, certain aspects that I really enjoyed, like, the depth, the physical aspect of pushing air, and just a, a tone that was both rich in the highs, mids, and then while never losing the low-end glow that I think is very unique to our tuning and how we write songs once that was figured out with the designing of these of this equipment that we're now using i don't miss it because now i get to do all the you know the heavy stuff or whatnot the thick rhythmic stuff but now i get to do the ambient washy you know like shoegazy stuff and it's led to like collaborating with friends on creating custom guitars and you know it's it's cool it's it's more expressive i think you yeah. know like you oh for sure really take the song further some of that stuff you want to commit to the record but live, you can just feel out the evening and like write out the moment, you know. Right on. I think that's really cool. I'm gonna check your work tonight when I yeah, watch yeah. watch the band. I'm, I'm interested to see what a guitar that moves air sounds like, or yeah. a guitar amp. That yeah, moves it's air. it's definitely different. I'll tell you that it's different sounding stuff. It's all like handmade, point to point. You know, no Chinese components. All like all the stuff that we put into this is stuff that we would obviously play ourselves, but we're selling stuff to our peers. We're not thinking of it as like, oh, our customers. No, it's like we're selling to hardworking musicians. Every dollar counts, and they need to have the best piece of equipment that's expressive and dynamic. doesn't matter how much distortion or how low you're tuned or whatever. The true voice of the instrument and the player needs to come through. So that's been super gratifying, too, because with the new record, the gear line and the company we started, like people are hearing it live, and they have the record, like, holy shit, like it really translates, you know, because it's, a very expressive, unique design. Like, we didn't copy any other, you know, schematics. It was, like, from the ground up, let's do something new. There's enough regurgitated circuits. Let's give people a new option. There's some Jedi shit right here. Like Honestly, yeah. Hearing you talk about <laughs> it, you sound like a true guru. I don't, I don't get that deep into my own music as far as tones and stuff i leave that to the experts and you sound like an expert just talking about i just it. i know i know it works for people after you know like which is simple give them options you know like recording dozens and dozens of bands or whatnot and our own records and striving for a sound that is unique i feel like with our record if you turn it up it doesn't like fall apart or get harsh it's easy on the ears and if you turn it up it like it fills out the, the space you're listening to and like sonically engulfs it and it's a pleasant experience, you know? Yeah. And so it's cool to see, like, the whole 
from putting up the mic in the studio to what gets released. Blowing my mind. You're blowing, <laughs> blowing my mind. Is the title admission significant in any way? Is it about like admitting something? Is it about like you're paying admission for this album? Is there some sort of uh, secret sauce to the f- title of the fifth Torch studio album? To be quite honest, it's always like, hey, uh, we have less than a week. We need to get a name for this record. <laughs> and we're still changing song titles. And we had a working title for the title track. And I just wasn't, mm-mm, I wasn't feeling it. And I kept pushing. Not re- it's, not, it's not there yet. It's not there. And then uh, Steve or somebody, somebody came up with admission. And I was like, that's it. You know, I mean, shit, it might have been me. I don't know who did it, but I'm grateful. <laughs> Whoever did it, thank you. And I think admission is, is actually, without even thinking about it, moving forward with it and putting it out. It wasn't until after the album was already announced and all that that it started to sink in. It's like, you know what? This makes perfect sense because like an admission to the new path or, you know, re- a reconnecting, you know, to oneself or the band. And there's so many different var- variations, you know. It's almost like you're finding meaning in the title after you actually title the record. It absolutely is cool. the case, yeah. It's really refreshing. And this is why I love doing the podcast with bands that I sort of know on a surface level. I've always known Torch on a surface level. Have a couple of the albums, love the artwork, love a lot of the songs. Like, you sound like a scientist. Like, the, the, the meticulous nature that it seems that you have, and I'm sure your bandmates share that meticulousness, you can tell that you guys are in it, you know? And, and I would imagine that if I didn't get to talk to you, then I would not get to appreciate the band on that level. Maybe most fans don't get to appreciate the band on that level unless they hear you talk about the way you make music and your guitar tone and you know, studio rat stuff that they wouldn't understand just by listening to the record. Yeah, know? I feel like it all starts with feeling. For me, it's always feeling, whether it's writing music, in the studio, getting sounds, designing the circuits with my partner for the Nunez Amps line and all that. Like, I'm always chasing a feeling. It has to be true to, if I'm working on my band, it needs to be true to my band. If it's working with another band, it needs to be true to, you know, that band. And, like, really try to embellish what, the like, the sonic identity of that group of people that are doing that team effort if you will like to create a sound and like capturing it like always feeling and then comes the science you know it can't be too technical up front because you can like literally drive yourself calcul- nuts yeah and and <laughs> literally calculate out the feeling let's talk about geography your lead singer steve is in la you yeah. mentioned that you're in la now i was in la for about three years and a year and a half before that i was just we were still touring on the last record so I had the recording studio in Miami, living down there as well. Then for a year and a half after Restarter, I think like right as it was like coming out and we're about to start touring, I moved my recording studio to Gainesville, Florida for a year and a half, rented a room, but I really spent most of the time in the van and then like flying to California to hang out with my girlfriend in, uh, in between tours. And if I needed to record a record, I would just do it before or after a tour in Florida. Once I was there for a year and a half, then I moved to the West Coast for about you know, like pretty much three years. Um, For the girl? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been there as well. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> he said it so sheepishly. Are you still with her? Yeah, yeah. All right. So so say it with yeah, say yeah, it with yeah, confidence. Yeah, 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 damn right I did. Yeah, I did. You're I a did. white knight. But Be then, proud of it. But it, the story keeps going. <laughs> then Steve was in uh San Francisco for some time and he moved down to LA and shortly after my girlfriend then wanted to move to Miami to my surprise, with like a month heads up, like, oh, I have to tell you something. What's that? <laughs> uh, I got a new job. Cool. Where's that at? Miami. I'm like, uh? <laughs> so that maybe that's why I was like, yeah. But okay. um, <laughs> but it was cool. Living out there was cool. I'd like to visit. But 
I don't know, cut from a different cloth or something. You guys clearly don't believe in like living in the same place. And I would imagine. Oh, dude, yeah, we haven't in years. I was going to say that when recording time comes, that probably limits your time in the studio together. Yeah, when we get together, we really, we are long days. But it's, a, it's usually intense. Like, all right. Let's do this. This is the time. Yeah, like, try to write as much it. as possible. We get together, and sometimes we get one song a day. Sometimes we get three songs a day. But with the last one, some of it was written in Gainesville. Some of it was written in L.A. Then I moved back, like, a couple months before we recorded it. So we wrote some stuff in Miami. Before a tour, um, I showed these guys a song that I had been working on, which is the opener from here, the first track on the record. And we, we all you know, put it together, like everyone learned it or whatever before a tour in Grand Junction, Colorado. So this last record was, we really maximized our time together to like write and demo. And then in the studio, once I had moved back, um, recorded some bands from Germany, did some other recordings and then jumped right, like it was like two months of nonstop work from the move. Because prior to the move, I was catching up and completing a bunch of records from the West Coast. I was calling people like, hey, I'm leaving in a month. We got to wrap it up. Or, like, let's get everything tracked, and then once I get to Florida, I'll mix it. So, you know, there's a lot going on while this record... And then we're developing pedal circuits and amps, and I wanted to get the cabinets done before the record. So you're not busy at all? No, at all. I mean, I feel like (laughs) I literally had... Like, it was a two-year period with no days off or something like that. And uh, once we were in Miami, set up in the studio, a couple songs came together, you know, while the mics were set up and while the studio bill, you know, like... The hours were being counted. Yeah. But I think they made it for great songs for the record. It sounds to me that as meticulous and as hardworking as you are, you also let circumstance kind of rule the roost when it comes to certain aspects of the band and the musical yeah. direction that the band is going in. Totally. Wherever totally. everybody's at, where everybody's head is at, where everybody's at physically kind of dictates how these songs are going to kind of be created. Yep. Yep. And I think that's what makes for an experience on a record. I, I'm a fan of you know, a band releasing a record and two or four years later or whatever, here's a whole nother experience. And it's still them, yep, yep. But they're doing different things. And you can tell there was some growth or progression or sometimes they like, hey, we tipped our hats at something we did in the past and like we're giving you a little different variation of it now. And it's pretty enjoyable when you, you can hear a group of musicians doing different things. I think we have a very specific sonic identity, but I feel we're very lucky to branch out. We're, we're a group of people that listen to a lot of different types of music. So... It's cool. You know, we get inspired by different things. We try it out. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the idea is to, at the end, out of however many songs you write, like what makes a cohesive listening experience and like kind of like a sonic journey? Like, let's take people on a trip. You grew up in Miami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a young man, were there bands or artists or producers or people in your family that inspired you to pick up a bass guitar or a guitar and get into this? When I was growing up, there was a lot of like Miami booty bass. So we had the bass. <laughs> Like super, oh, yeah. you know, pushing some air. A lot of these samples that were being used were taken from Kraftwerk songs. So you had all these awesome synth nice. lines and all that. There was also freestyle was popular. So it had that like kind of dance vibe still with like laser beam sound effects. And like the synths were still again, that's a, you know, a recurring theme here. There was also like like pop stuff that Miami text- Sound Machine. Yeah, yeah. And very rhythmically orientated, you know. A movement, an energy, an excitement. Oh, you yeah. know, that was part of the culture down there. So it's like 
don't want to go to a show and just stand there. Like, I want to move your ass a little bit. Come on. You know, things like New Order were on the radio, Duran Duran, stuff like that. And, like, so there was some cool. dreaminess into the music. And, and then you start getting into more, like, the local bands. And you're like, man, that guy's not that much older. Like, I was always intrigued. Like, he can afford those amps that I've seen in magazines. Like, <laughs> and man, like, so I, I got to get a job. You know, and I, I worked at, like, I think my parents had to sign some papers so I could work when I was like 15, you had to be like 16 to get a job in Florida. I remember going to a friend's house in middle school and he said he had an electric guitar. I'm like, what? You have an electric guitar? I'm like, okay. And he's like, you want to come over? I'm like, yes. And dude, <laughs> this kid, all he did, it was like the strum that ruined my life. He like in a good way though. Uh, I showed up and he plugged in his like bootleg, like knockoff Les Paul into a little crate amp while he was setting it up. It wasn't that much stuff to set up. He was like playing kiss, you know, turning on his little ass ham and all this. He's like making it. It's like, come on, man. Just turn on, play the thing already. And he just strummed uh, an E quarter. Now that's it. I was like, you're transformed. I'm like, how do you do that? How can you're my age? Like what's happening? I don't, I'm confused and excited. And can I do that? Can I yeah. put my fingers in that position and make that happen? And I'm like, show me chords. You have to show me chords. He showed me four chords. I'm like, cool that's all i need okay, thanks see you later and you never saw him again no yeah and then i would i would like hey man can i go over again he's like all right uh, maybe in a couple of days i'm like all right man i gotta i gotta play a guitar again oh, you were jazzed at that point yeah i, I was just like yeah. holy crap that sounds like the stuff that people are doing on the radio man and like you know riding around with my dad hard-working dude he was like a baker by night and he had a guard dog company and stuff and i was like i think it was like and he was a baker by night yeah he would like wake up like two in the morning and that's a diverse career yeah and then like later it was just the guard dog stuff but he's a character everyone in the band knows him the uh, local music scene adores him like he's when, I, when I started recording i would have like half of miami going to my parents house like the youngest kid that was like recording bands and yeah. like they all knew my family it was hilarious nice yeah and then like i mean i heard it was a van halen song and just the sound of the guitar like i never and still today i've never tried to play like that crazy shit, you know but i was just like the sound of the chords you got me. And I looked at my dad after that. He started playing the classic rock station for me around the time I was in, like, maybe fourth or fifth grade. I was, like, really really into oldies around that time. And it just ripped my head off. I'm like, I looked at my dad, and I was like, hey, I want a guitar. He's like, you want a guitar, man? He's like, you want to sound like that guy, huh? You think you can play like that? You want to rock and roll star? I'm like, I don't know about that, but I want to strum the damn thing, you know? <laughs> He's like, all right, I'll get you acoustic. And he goes, I'm like, ah. He's like, no, no, if you play the acoustic, then we'll get electric and... My mom took me to some laser shows. It was like the Jimi Hendrix experience, then Led Zeppelin floor. We're probably the only people that weren't on any substances. You know, they're like just an excited <laughs> kid. She's cool enough to take me. We would buy the cassettes because they weren't they weren't rock and roll people. They grew up. They came over from Cuba and they were you know they were into like disco music and Latin music. You know and like, yeah. you know but there was some. There were, my dad was more familiar with rock and roll and stuff. But he started like you know playing that stuff. And then on my own, I got into like mainstream rock around like 1992 maybe around there and then from there started learning about more aggressive faster more brutal stuff and well so the fact that they walked you through that door is very admirable in yeah. consideration of the fact that they weren't quote-unquote fans of no, that genre yeah they weren't like i didn't grow up in a house where the beatles were being played like a lot of people yeah like, that, like me i was familiar with the with the oldies so actually the earlier stuff you would hear the early the Fab Four days, yeah. The mop you would top hear days. that. Yeah. You would hear that on like the oldie stuff. Everything was just pointing that way, you know. And like before I knew it, I was trying to play in bands with my cousin, this and that, and like certain, you know. Then friends, you know, you go to shows and like you save your lunch money throughout the week, and then fr come Friday or Saturday, you have just enough to buy like a CD, 
or an, a seven inch, you know, and you're like, all right, you get this one, I'll get that one. And then you get it. <laughs> and then Saturday morning, you're like, hey, man, so what's up? You're like, are you going to come over? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, what's up with that CD or that seven inch or whatever? It's like, yeah, it's really good. I'm like, oh, man, mine sucks. I made the wrong, <laughs> I, I, I made the bad choice this week. And Do you remember the first CD you ever bought? It was Kill em All from Metallica. Oh, right on. But it, it was better like, than mine. I'm Bon Jovi Slippery When Wet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a child of hair metal. There you go. There Ironically. You go. I was, I, maybe just a little after that. Um, well, I got into the heavier stuff soon after that as well. But yeah, maybe like two or three years later, I heard, I saw the video for one on MTV on Headbangers Ball. It's over. And that, yeah, then it was you know, Anthrax. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and every thrash band that came after, Pantera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how it was for me. I, look, one thing that always caught my attention was when I was getting into like the early Metallica stuff, definitely Slayer. Right on. They were, I was like, well, this is the most brutal, pissed off thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> then, you know, I heard Pantera. And, like, I had two older friends, and they were like, oh, Helmet. Oh, shit, what's Helmet? Yeah. You know? And, like, I definitely hear a lot of, especially on this album, the Paige Hamilton vibe and the vocals. Yeah, and, you can do and the certain rhythmic stuff, I'm sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, that stuff all was super appealing. But when I would go to the laser shows, I would be, like, obviously sober and young. And listening to the sounds of like the Hendrix and the Zeppelin stuff, I'm like this, just the saturations, and it wasn't so scooped like the metal stuff. The sound, I didn't know at the time, you know, but I'm like, there's something exciting, and it was the energy, the liveliness, the live interplay with the instruments. Like there was some like some little mistakes here and there, or whatever. It just sounded raw to me. And then when I got into like punk and hardcore stuff, like I was like, oh, shit, like Bad Brains and stuff like that. I'm like, there's some of that that rawness is there like but it's less slick it's less produced it's more like probably like an a track these guys are recording to and i don't know it's just very sound driven and like the first time i heard like let's say the misfits i was just like wow that sounds like brown like the guitar's like distorted the bass is distorted in a certain way and the drums are like clunky and like chunky you know like i was very attracted to like sonic imprints that certain bands had i'm like you hearing like that's them that's the difference between you and I. When I was growing up, I was very um, a hater is the wrong word, but I was very <laughs> I was very critical of stuff that didn't sound polished. So yeah. so punk rock like That's that the, slippery and wet effect. Right, exactly. So stuff like the Ramones, like oh, to dude. me, it didn't resonate with me when I was younger. And as yeah. I got older, I feel like I blossomed and understood. Mm-hmm. I kind of my mind opened up more to that genre music stuff like the buzzcocks and oh, television yeah. yeah it didn't have that polished smooth kind of studio sound totally but there was something about it something unique about it and two things that kind of we have in common is when i was a kid my friends and i when we were in high school we'd go to the hayden planetarium same thing i wasn't into drinking and drugging yeah. until my 20s but yeah. in like 17 18 i was stone cold sober going to see pink floyd dark side of the moon laser show going yeah. to see you too, going to see Pearl Jam laser shows. Yeah, yeah. And totally like enwrapped by it, even though I was under zero influence of chemicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the first small concert club I ever went to was at a venue called the Academy in Midtown Manhattan. We went to go see Jesus Jones and a band from Boston opened up called Tribe. And I heard that mic'd up drum kit, man. And I had I didn't know who the band was. I didn't know any of their songs. They were the opening act. Yeah. But just hearing those drums, man, hearing the bass drum yeah. and the cymbals just mic'd up, I'd never heard anything like it before. And it, it just 
completely transformed me and made me want to be a drummer. Oh wow! And man. I wound up playing drums for many years before I kind of segued into into synths and singing awesome. and all that stuff. So yeah, dude. So we're kindred spirits in that regards. Absolutely, yes. What can 2019 John Nunez tell <laughs> John Nu teach John Nunez of 2004? This band's been together for 15 years. Mm -hmm. In any generation, in any genre of music, 15 years in the same band is something to hang your hat on. Never doubt your instinct. Always follow your gut and always play music for the reasons that you've always played it for, for the right reasons, which to me are to express yourself and like work with your friends, creating something that's unique and different and, you know, don't follow anybody else's path. You can be inspired and influenced, but, you know, if it doesn't move you, you know it's wrong, you know? Like, and that's something that I've always had. If something doesn't feel right or somebody's pushing something a little too hard but it's just it doesn't reach a certain threshold or it doesn't resonate with me it just doesn't stick it just doesn't you know i don't know if it's like limited hard drive space upstairs or what <laughs> but i'm just there's a lot up there apparently i yeah. mean there's definitely not a lot of hair but there's you're you gonna know. you're gonna need uh, an external drive to plug into your ear or something right <laughs> but it'd be a trip if that were a possibility like some back to the future thing i don't know i i wouldn't i don't know if i'd say too much there might be like hey you know like when you manage that first credit card better or something, you know, like... Oh, some more adult responsibility Yeah, maybe things. a little well, bit that, of that. that's what I'm asking. Be yeah. like, hey, you know... Life lessons. Yeah, like, you raise that limit and you get all the studio equipment, but pay it off, like, faster. You know, don't continue to buy more. And <laughs> But, you know, it, it was all done in good spirits to record local bands and other bands coming out of state to record with me. But I don't know. I don't know, I don't know that I would say too much, you know? Apparently 2019 John Nunez has better credit than 2004 <laughs> John Nunez. I don't know. Yeah, and, shaved, and, and he doesn't have the beard, so he looks younger. Uh, yeah, just keeping it, keeping it fresh. Um, I'm sure you've experienced good times and bad times in the business. Yeah. The business has completely changed in the 15 years since you first strapped on that bass Absolutely. guitar to be in Torch. What advice would you give somebody who's strapping that guitar on now? I would say, you know, write music that moves you. And once that's done, um, you know, record it to the best of your ability or, you know, whoever you trust in capturing your music and do the live materialization uh, of that song or that record. Do it justice. Make it move you the way it moves you when you're while you're playing it let it translate so that when someone comes out to a show they have an experience and then they can get as close as possible to that experience and with all that being done you want to hopefully get that out to as many people as possible so it's great when uh labels interested in working with you um i feel that the story goes similar just about every time i hear it where yeah we did a handshake agreement or it's like a punk rock thing or whatever and it's usually the band that ends up suffering one way or another or like kind of eating it because when there's no agreement sometimes not always but mm, most times i'm gonna i'll just leave it there <laughs> the band ends up getting screwed a bit so uh -huh. you want to make sure that when someone's handling your creation and all the hard work you put into you know some musical efforts or any creative efforts you know uh, whether it's a solo thing or with a band just protect it if you have to get you know legal advice and get something on paper that's you know it's important and it might not be the most inspiring thing to hear but i think it's something that could have just about helped just about any musician i know including myself in the past you know we're protecting all the hard work that went into making these songs and getting them out and then let alone going on the road and a lot of personal sacrifice goes into like spending, you know, months on end on the road and people will be as excited as you are about your own music. Don't get me wrong. And if they're putting it out, you know, hopefully they feel that way. But just 
the best I can offer is just like protect it. You know, be careful. You know, like things can happen. Or if you and if you're signing anything, know what you're signing. I think it's important to get you know say that to younger people that are right because younger people. We've both been younger people. Yeah. Kind of expect when someone gets excited about them, they're gonna take them by the hand and lead them to the promised land. And sometimes they lead them down a dark alley and shoot them in the back of the head. Yeah, I mean that could happen. <laughs> I mean for me, I never thought, you know, I was I was always writing music, you know, in a relatively self-indulgent way along with the other friends, and we did it for ourselves. When we started getting paid for shows and early bands and stuff, I was like, oh wow, and like recording local bands, were like, hey man, we got like five or six songs. We heard the other recording you did for that band. I'm like, holy shit, that got around. Uh, We'll give you like six hundred bucks, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, maybe at first it was three hundred bucks, actually. <laughs> but you know, it's just like He's that in, was it's inflation. Yeah, that's always an afterthought for me. You know, like the whole like making a living off of it. That's I mean, it's always an afterthought. I just I'm so obsessed with the creating aspect of it, and then like capturing the sounds. And it's like you invest so much time and days on end in the stuff that. You know, I love to see young people doing that, and obviously it keeps it exciting. I want to hear if I could hear a new band every day that like moves me, that would be incredible. But you would hope that people are thinking like, "Hey, we have to be careful because this record could do something, and if we don't, you know, secure the ownership over it or this and that, and we're not signing it over to someone just because like, holy, shit, they're going to put it on vinyl for us." You know, you you just have to be careful. That's all. Sage wisdom from someone who's been doing this for quite a while and quite successfully. We're in an alleyway. I, you know, we, we walk down <laughs> it here. Success. Uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> 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 We're just in an alleyway. Coincidentally, it has nothing to do with the status of Torch as a band <laughs> or you as an artist. As a longtime fan, I've been a fan of this band for ten years. This is my first time seeing you guys live tonight. I'm pretty excited. Awesome. John Nunez, thank you so much for your time, thank man. You I appreciate so much. it. All appreciate right, man. As well. Thanks. Soon to rise.
was Slide by Torch. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Admission, the title track from the latest Torch album on Relapse Records. Get the goods, find out more, see him rock out on tour. It's all at torchmusic.com. Big thanks to John for the conversation and the inspiration, Steve Brooks and the rest of the band for their hospitality, Monica at Speakeasy PR for setting it all up, and horns up to you, my friends, for making it to the end of another legendary long podcast episode journey. Hope someone on the train woke you up and didn't leave you drooling in the aisles. And hey, Independent Minded is spreading like a plague thanks to you loyal listeners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and now proudly featured on The Vinyl District. Go to your app store, get The Vinyl District's free GPS-supported record store finder app, and discover the largest database of existing record stores on the planet right in your pocket with over 100,000 vinyl-loving music nerds just like you and me. And big thanks to John Myers at The Vinyl District for creating another avenue for music lovers to check out the podcast and the artists we feature on it. Follow it all online at Bald Freak Music. Hear archived episodes. Be a Ron Scalzo anthropologist at baldfreak.com. And thanks once again to our presenting sponsor, Bloom Farms CBD. 20% off your order at bloomfarmcbd.com. When you enter the promo code BALDFREAK, Sample discounted CBD tinctures and mini CBD vape pens. I personally dig Sequoia Mint, not just because it tastes like a breath mint, but just because I love to say it. Sequoia Mint. And when you purchase a Bloom Farms product, they give a meal to individuals or families experiencing food insecurity. Simply put, they feed the hungry. So when you buy something, technically you feed the hungry. BloomFarmsCBD.com. Promo code BALDFREAK. Take the plunge. Tell your friends who live the lifestyle about their 100% pure, all-natural, full-spectrum CBD. BloomFarmsCBD.com. Next time on Independent Minded, fiery new school underground rock and roll upstart J.J. Wild chats with me inside an old-school underground record store in downtown D.C. before rocking the house at U Street Music Hall. She's a beautiful young woman who makes her own burgers. Ah... I think I'm in love. <laughs>